Hey, everybody, and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Alex, and today on our panel we have Ari. Hello. And Tessa. Wow. Hi. It'll make sense later. (laughs) And our special guest for this episode is Matan Kushner. Matan, you're a full stack dev at Code Sandbox and lead maintainer for Starship. That's right. Howdy, folks. Yay. Welcome. So I'm going to ask a question because I need information about this, but Tessa, Ari, Matan, do y'all work on, I know that we're a front end show about Vue, but do you work on back end stuff at all? Sure. I mean, the only time that I get to work on back end is my friend Vikas and I have been trying to go through the rustlings, like basics of Rust tutorial, but that's the only time I touch it. CSS all the way, baby. Yeah, if they had server-side CSS, then I'd be down for it. Ari, how about you? The boot camp I went to was full stack. So I did do a a fair amount of back-end work then. But only in the last month have I gotten back into that as part of my job. So Node with AWS Lambdas. Cool. Wait, before we continue, I just need to point out that server-side CSS would be awful because the acronym would be SSCSS, and then people would like be like, is it SSCSS or SCSS? And it would constantly get confused and be a big mess. So let's cancel that, that one. That, that is a valid point. That is a very valid yeah. point. Exactly. I know that I've done back-end stuff. It's not my favorite, though, and I much more prefer the front-end, but I've mostly only worked in like scripting languages, so... I'm using like Python, PHP, Node. So yeah, I have experience with backend stuff. How about you, Matan? Do you have, are you like front end? Are you like back end? Like what's your, what's your deal? You literally introduced him as a full stack developer. <laughs> <laughs> These days at Code Sandbox, I'm a bit of a generalist. We're a small enough team that everyone kind of does a bit of everything. So I particularly have been working a lot on backend, though my history lies primarily with frontend. This, I'd say, is my first full-time job where backend was a real responsibility. But yeah, I guess that kind of brings us to Rust. And my experience in Rust is what got me noticed for Code Sandbox, what got me noticed for this kind of full-stack role that I'm doing today. Okay, I have a question. What's Rust? So Rust is a systems programming language like C or C++, but unlike those kind of relics of programming, Rust is a very new modern language and is heavily inspired by practices in other modern languages. It takes a lot of inspiration from JavaScript and it gives you a lot of guarantees that older, lower level languages don't give you. What is that? mean though are you talking are we doing like prototypical inheritance at a very low level or are we like what's what's going on like what is rust like how does it learn from the past and also do cool new things that's a really good question to get into that first talking about javascript javascript is a very high level language it's memory safe which means that when creating a variable, you don't have to allocate memory and then deallocate memory when you're done with it. Like these, these things are all automatic. They're magical in JavaScript. As long as a variable exists, 
it'll always have a value. Whereas in some older, lower level languages like in C or C++, if a variable doesn't have a value and you access it, everything will crash, it'll halt execution. That is typically seen as a lower level language that is not memory safe. So in the same way that's an impossible outcome in JavaScript, it's also an impossible outcome in Rust. Rust makes it so that you can have both very, very fast, low-level processing while having the guarantees that exist in higher-level languages like JavaScript. The only compromise, so to speak, is the learning curve. It's a tough language to get into. Once you get over that hurdle, having both a high-level language and a low-level language under your belt can make you a very well-rounded developer, and you can pick the right tool for the job. I mean, I'm already very well-rounded because I like, I like food. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I want to hear more about, about the safety bit when we get more into Rust, because I feel like every time I try to do something, it's like, oh, you already used that variable. Now it's gone. Or like, you need to borrow here. And I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. Alex tried to look into it and give me this metaphor with like plastic wrapping yogurt, uh, frozen yogurt. As you do, right? Yeah, it, it was as helpful as it sounds. Yeah, you plastic wrap some frozen yogurt and then you pass it over to somebody else and then they unwrap it and like do things with it. And then like they give you a whole new container and it's a and like it's a thing. It's so now that all of us are experts in Rust. Yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> Ari is giving me a very confused expression. Well, apparently Tessa shared my confusion, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, what's the side, I can't I can't put an eyeball on both of y'all at the same time, so Well she brought it up, I think, to That's illustrate you that your analogy sucked. <laughs> I look, it is it's very simple. You just you just first you build a yogurt shop and then <laughs> No. Okay. Okay. Moving so, on from yogurt. Yeah. <laughs> so what attracted you then? Like you said that you did front end stuff before. What attracted you to like Rust? I get that like it's very familiar, you're saying, and all that sort of stuff, but like why the move from front end to back end, I guess? That's a good question. A lot of people need a good reason to get into a language like Rust, especially since it's kind of really tough to get into without, you know, a good project to drive you. I personally picked up Rust in an effort to build Starship, which is it's an open source project of mine. It is a cross-platform, cross-shell prompt. <laughs> and, and what that means is it makes your shell prompt really pretty. It gives you context when you're in a project directory to let you know what you're working with. So let's say you enter the directory of a node project. Oftentimes, shell prompts or shell themes will say like what Git branch you're on or whether your Git branch is dirty, what the status of your Git branch is. Starship also will say what node runtime version are you going to be running uh, your JavaScript project in? The kind of thing that'll influence how you work with the project, or maybe it'll tell you when your battery is low, the kind of thing that you want to know right away as you're working and not find out when your computer shuts off between saves. So in building a project like Starship, I originally first tried it with Node because JavaScript at the time was kind of 
my language of choice. And Node, despite being a super flexible, lovely language to work with, doesn't fit every task perfectly. For a tool that's running every time you hit enter in your shell, cold start times are very important. Node as an interpreted language takes a long time to just get going. What would take in the modern version of Rust, what would take in the modern version of Starship, you know, five milliseconds? In Node will take 500 milliseconds. That's noticeable if it happens every time you hit enter in your shell. So this is a very performance critical kind of tool. And after hearing that Rust was the most loved language for the fifth year in the row in the 2020 Stack Overflow developer survey, I figured what makes a low-level programming language so interesting to people? So I went to check it out, and it turns out Rust, once you get over that hurdle, is a delight to use. And I find it makes you a much better programmer overall. It is a very strict language, but in all the best ways. You can't run into impossible states. You can't run into unaccounted errors. Rust will tell you at compile time if any possible error state can happen, which makes you very confident in the code you ship. Wait, what do you mean by every possible error state? I mean, I'm pretty talented at throwing some like really complex error states, I would just like to say. So <laughs> <laughs> you haven't seen my code. <laughs> That's a good question. So in JavaScript, when you throw an error, it is the responsibility of the code around it to catch it. If you don't catch it, it bubbles up and explodes everything. Your running program halts execution, and you're done for. You need to start over. Whereas in Rust, before it's even possible to you know, throw an error that's unhandled, the compiler won't even let you progress. The compiler is incredibly strict. Kind of like when you turn on strict mode in TypeScript for the first time, if you've had that experience. TypeScript is yelling at you everywhere. Everything you've done is horrible, and it's mad at you, and you regret ever touching TypeScript. Yeah, that's that's incredibly accurate. And you generally just turn it back off again and just don't use it. So Sounds good to me. Yeah, so uh, Rust does that from day one. You need to account for any possible error before Rust is willing to compile. And that is maybe frustrating if you're trying to iterate quickly. But boy, is it confidence-inspiring to know that any possible error state has already been handled. That is a confidence that unfortunately can't always have in the world of JavaScript. And that's what's so incredible about Rust when you're coming from a background in JavaScript development. But sometimes I exploit errors. So like, you're telling me I can't do that anymore? Jeez. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So you keep talking about this hump that you have to get over when you're learning Rust. So how did you learn Rust? How did you get over that hump? How can we be sure that you actually enjoy Rust and you're not just rationally saying to yourself that you enjoy it because there was such a big hump? Stockholm Syndrome for code. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so far you've told me it's frustrating. It's like TypeScript and it'll yell at you a lot. You're not exactly selling it to me quite yet. So uh, uh, tell me, tell me. Unlike the plastic wrapped frozen yogurt. (laughs) I'm just saying frozen yogurt's delicious. Who doesn't want that? So without getting too deep into the reads, explaining like, you know, the, the nuances of Rust and writing Rust, the way that Rust provides these guarantees that exist in JavaScript about memory safety, it has the concept of an ownership model where 
a variable at any time is owned by the function it's in and can never be in like multiple functions at the same time. That's kind of a new way of thinking when it comes to programming. It's a mental model you haven't had to have in other languages, but that gives you the degree of memory safety that you have in JavaScript without garbage collection. If you've ever had to write like really performance-intensive code in JavaScript, things that run over a long period of time, you'll run into the hurdle of garbage collection, which is the notion of JavaScript at a set interval will check to see if you have too many unused variables and will clear them all. That halts the, ex- the execution of your program and makes it so that things that are potentially performance sensitive take a long time. They have to pause every now and then to clear the garbage. Rust doesn't do that. It has all the benefits of a low-level language when it comes to memory management without the possible foot guns of like null pointers and all that stuff we, we, we don't have to get into, but the design decisions that have plagued like C developers forever, which lead to errors that can't happen in JavaScript. So you're talking about memory management and like an ownership model for memory. So is that like if I have like a view component and I have a button on the page that can update account and then like it also calls an API thing and like updates the count on the API and then updates the counter based on the response from the API and I start clicking it a bunch of times and then like it gets completely out of sequence. Is it like that? Like, is that what we're talking about? Like it doesn't allow that? That's a good analog, I'd say. Yeah. In Rust, a variable can only exist in one place at a time. You can't have it be updated by like various different functions. That property is what makes it so that memory is allocated when the variable is created and deallocated when it leaves scope on its own. Because Rust knows at any given moment where a variable is and who depends on it. That's a lot of words. I just, I don't understand how you got to the state where you could wrap your mind around all of it. Like, how did you figure all this stuff out? Well, Rust has some really incredible documentation. The Rust team themselves wrote what is known as the Rust book. It is like the de facto guide to get into Rust and to learn it. Whereas in in most other languages, you know, there are a wide variety of, of possible ways to get introduced to the language. In Rust, having the one true path, the one kind of yellow brick road, the yellow brick road that any Rust developer walks down to learn the language in the same way. It gives that book a lot of scrutiny, a lot of contributors. It's, it's an open source resource. So everyone who has learned from it or has tried learning from it contributes to it to help improve you know, the one true guide, the one true introduction to Rust. So it sounds like what you're saying is you can to Rust the Rust book. Wow. I was going to make a terrible joke about the yellow brick road leading to the Rust City instead of the Emerald City, but (laughs) your joke beat mine. (laughs) A race to the bottom. (laughs) That is what we're good at here. (laughs) So I feel like Rust is, despite being relatively new, right? It was made around, what, 2012, 2013. I feel like Rel- it's picked up speed relatively quickly. I don't know. I don't know generally how long it takes for a new language to catch on, but I feel like it's it's kind of like exponentially or 
logarithmically or whatever, gaining popularity. So why is that? It's getting immensely popular, I think, in part due to it tackling a lot of the frustrations that have existed in lower-level language to date. People are able to write lower-level programs with a degree of confidence that they've never had before. In addition to that, Rust has a very modern tool chain, an incredible package manager, a rich ecosystem. It has a lot of the things that people love about JavaScript, but in a language closer to like C or C++. For instance, Rust has a built-in linter, a built-in formatter, test runner, benchmarking tool, monorepo support, and documentation generator. These are all things that there's also the one true way to do things. You know, you, you don't have to convince your team to use Prettier like you do in JavaScript. In Rust, there is the Rust formatter. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why you would want to convince them to use Prettier anyway, but no, I'm kidding. Keep going. <laughs> does Rust put its script tag at the top or does it put oh the template God. tag at the top? Because that's... <laughs> <laughs> we talk about the real issues here. Yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, like what's what's better, Rust documentation or Vue document? No, I'm kidding. You don't have to answer that. I mean, I had the thought, Tessa, so I'm so glad you said something. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to beat Vue documentation. Vue developers have it good, that's for sure. Especially mm-hmm. when you look at the stale React docs that are getting older and older with time. Ooh. They're getting it updated. Like they're working on it. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. Rachel's Good. working on it. So. We've had hooks for two years now, and the getting Already. started guide doesn't mention them. Hmm. You know, it takes time to overhaul crap. <laughs> <laughs> and bless Rachel Neighbors for doing so. <laughs> yes, she's she has a monumental task ahead of her, and it is hopefully going to be extremely good. Hey, are you enjoying the show? If you want to enjoy the show more, give us feedback. Like, who do you want to hear from more? Like, what kind of topics do you want to hear more about? Fill out the form in the show notes. It's like a little survey. Like, ask you a few questions. You can tell us what you think. Let's do it. All right. So we're a bunch of view developers here, mostly. Kind of. Yeah. You sure? You don't sound sure. What does that even mean, Alex? (laughs) I don't know. Anyway, so we're working in the browser primarily. So why would Rust be of interest to me as a in-browser developer? Like, what can I do with this, right? Like, I'm not planning on writing low-level command line server thingies anytime soon like why would i why would i want to use rust that's a good question so in the last few years webassembly has been shipped to all major browsers and what assembly lets you do is run compiled languages like rust directly in the browser alongside your javascript code for for those who who are keeping up with with webassembly webassembly is a binary instruction format which can be executed directly by the browser So as long as your compiled language of choice supports WebAssembly as an output, you can use it just as you can any other JavaScript function directly in the code. And that means you can have view method calls that that call to WebAssembly. You can have React if if you decide to go that way. (laughs) But the idea is that it can be called just like any typical vanilla JavaScript function. 
as long as you can import the WebAssembly, you can treat it like any other function. So a good opportunity to use Rust in a front-end application would be for overly performance-critical or safety-critical work. Performance-critical being things that might typically take a long time, a lot of data crunching, if you want to do fancy stuff like client-side image compression or resizing so that you can save the bandwidth when you send it to the server. Like That's a really cool opportunity to just sneak in some Rust, sneak in some WebAssembly. Or safety-critical being like the really core critical portion of your front-end code base that you need to be incredibly confident that it's working perfectly. Having Rust be involved in handling that logic will make it so that you don't have to worry about that anymore. And you will know that it'll always be incredibly fast. I don't know if if switching languages is enough to give me confidence that my code is working perfectly. So what you're saying is, is that I could build a web presence, like a web store for a frozen yogurt shop and I could have <laughs> and it'll be built in rust and it'll be built in rust nobody which is... wants rusty frozen yogurt <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I mean if there's like bacon ice cream I feel like some, oh, somebody yes. would go for it bacon there ice cream they used to have quick trip used to have maple bacon quick shakes and it is they were the most decadent, glorious thing. They would just pour maple syrup and four slices of bacon and just like mix it right in front of you. They don't make them anymore. Something about health concerns and people like having heart attacks or something. I don't know. But they were so good. Yeah, heart attacks when they see that monstrosity. I'm just <laughs> thinking about what happens when fat cools down. Oh my goodness. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to hold off on ice cream for a good long time now. <laughs> you ruined my life, Alex. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> so I want to hear a bit more about the Rust community because I feel like I, I hear a lot of like vaguely good messages about the community and how inclusive it is and also some like vague connection to furries, but I'm not sure what the deal is with either of those things. Is that not a thing? <laughs> I don't know that I can answer the bit about about furries. I'm not going to say you're wrong, but I am going to say <laughs> I, I have no idea how that came to be. <laughs> the community is is incredibly welcoming, especially since for a lot of developers, Rust is their first foray into low-level programming. There's a lot of people who... There are a lot of incredible resources for introducing programmers to the world of low-level programming, the ecosystem is very rich with, with an abundance of really powerful libraries, kind of like JavaScript, how if you have a problem, you can usually very confidently just search through NPM for something that fits your need. Rust is, is also there, and the, they, they call it the crates registry. So despite it being a very young language, it has a flourishing community of, of resources and, and libraries and a lot of people who are willing to take the time to help you get onboarded, particularly the Rust Discord community, the Rust subreddit, a lot of people who are looking to guide beginners to Rust and to low-level programming in general. If it's such a young language, why, why is it called Rust? 
Like that's not something that I associate with newness. Ooh, that's a good question. I've never, I've never thought to think about that. I've never looked into it. Does anyone else know why it's called a rust? I have no clue, but I, I feel like in, in the view community, naming is very important. We've asked a lot of people about the history behind the names of different tools. Hmm. I'm going to do a quick Google search. I'm curious. Hi, dude. And it's telling me about the last name, Russ, which is not helpful. So according to the Wikipedia article, the project was possibly named after the Rust family of fungi. Rusts are plant diseases caused by pathogenic fungi. Mm, That seems like a very poor choice. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess... Wait, wait, wait. Maybe the creator picked it because they're a fun guy. Wow. Oh, I just figured that they were trying to go viral. Oh, my God. I don't know you people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, interesting. I wonder what the story is. But it also says that it's a substring of robust, which I think that we should go with that one because it's a lot less gross. <laughs> Wait, it actually says that because I was jokingly thinking in my head that the title of this episode could be Is Rust Short for Robust with Matan Kushner? <laughs> Gosh, you are clearly psychic. <laughs> I'm also reading here that Rust, as the name reflects, they've tried hard to avoid incorporating new technology into it by going out of their way to to avoid novelty. Yeah, that they're able to use old technology to solve long-standing problems. I don't know about that. I'm, I'm not able to connect that bit there. It sounds like there's a lot of novelty in the name, though. Somebody in this Reddit post says, it's funny how Graydon says right off the bat that he has no idea and just keeps making up different reasons every time. Yet when he comes <laughs> up with the fungus, he manages to convince a lot of people that that is the one true origin of the name. I guess we'll never know. I guess we'll never know. Maybe he was making a language and had a concept for like how it should work. And somebody was like, that is very interesting. Oh my God. Stop. <laughs> Ari is getting frustrated. <laughs> oh no. Rushed <laughs> right into it. <laughs> Do you do this every you time? You obviously heard the door <laughs> creaking <laughs> from the rust on the hinges. Can <laughs> you not listen to our show? This is like every episode. Yeah. I listen to it on like triple speed. So some of the jokes just go over my head. Well, then you're not fully enjoying us. So uh, double speed. Yeah, it sounds speed. like your sense of humor is a little rusty. <laughs> Wait, the real question is, are you using the browser? Because if so, I'm just going to disable 3x speed. <laughs> I'm using my podcast app, but Damn. for for you guys, oh, the podcatcher of choice, the podcatcher <laughs> of choice. I still don't get that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll change this podcast to two X speed just for you. I think we'll be a lot funnier if you do, and I mean, really, that's mostly what we have going for us. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll let you know. I'll report back. Sounds good. So if, if someone wanted to get started on Rust, how would you recommend that they go about doing that? The Yellow Brick Road to Rust City. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Get in, we're going wrestling. No. <laughs> if, if you just Google the Rust book, the first result is almost definitely going to be 
the recommended approach. It is a little bit of a long book, but boy, is it a cool read. It took me about three months to really f- start feeling confident in the Rust I was writing. But my first Rust project, Starship, is, is still going, is still piling on top of that ancient code I wrote when first getting going with Rust. Even beginner Rust code is pretty sturdy code. The same can't be said for most other languages, I'd say. I would like to point out that when you Google the Rust book, under people also ask, the first result is why Rust is bad. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about that. Why is it bad? Really, really trying to push going, apparently. (laughs) Wow. Dirty tricks by Go developers, I see. (laughs) They said, you want to go? Let's go. (laughs) Now, I will say this. That the answer to why Rust is bad, and I will read this to you now, is Rust basically dissolves away metal. In a vehicle, this can be a major problem because the structure of a vehicle is made almost entirely of metal. When the metal dissolves, connections can start going bad. The car's safety can also be compromised because the steel that creates crumple zones will dissolve. So that is why Rust is bad, because it dissolves metal. They should have plastic wrapped the metal. Thinking about it now, I probably shouldn't be using rust on a starship, eh? Oh, Ooh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Time to rewrite it and, and go? Yep. What yeah, are you I doing mean, today? Go really seems to go with a starship. <laughs> <laughs> My maintainers won't be happy to hear this, but it only makes sense. <laughs> I mean, if the puns dictate. <laughs> <laughs> and they do. So I uh, I feel like the the go-to starter project for frameworks is there. making oh <laughs> making a to-do list, which I don't know why that's a thing. Is there like a prototypical first project for Rust people? Besides implementing your own universal command line? What, you haven't done that in your sleep? (laughs) Who among us? Good first Rust project. I feel like I've seen a lot of people create a basic text editor. I thought that was a a cool one, but that's more command line. When it comes to like introducing WebAssembly to the front end, I think a, a good starting place might be, yeah, trying to rewrite some of your really core critical application code to see how you can make it really, really safe or using WebAssembly to reuse libraries written in other languages like Rust. If you find, you know, an image compression library, an image resizing library, a video trimming library, and you need to do any of that from your front end, compiling a Rust project to WebAssembly and throwing it in like a JavaScript function could be a really cool way to introduce it to your code base. So have you combined Rust with you? I've toyed around, but I haven't had the opportunity to throw it into a production app yet. But a very good example of a project that's currently using Rust on the front end is 1Password. Their browser extension shares the same Rust password generation and cryptography as their desktop client on Windows and Mac and their mobile application. Those all share the same common Rust code base for reuse everywhere. I prefer to just suffer with LastPass. 
<laughs> if I do mean suffer. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if rust is the best choice for locks, but, uh, you know, oh. you can do it again. <laughs> Excellent. And with that, Matan, where can we find you on the internet? Well, you can you can find me on GitHub or Twitter by my internet handle, Matchai, M-A-T-C-H-A-I. Yeah, is this a multi-language pun? No, it's it's actually a mix of my first and middle name, Matan, and my middle name is Chai. So that's an awesome middle name. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> You can also, if you're curious to try out Starship, you can head over to GitHub slash Starship slash Starship. I'm also a developer on the social networking site for fans of anime and manga called Anilist, which is using Vue on the front end. Yeah, that's my internet presence these days. Awesome. Well, now it is time to move on to this week's picks. Ari, do you want to go first? Sure, I can go first. My pick this week is a TV show that I managed to binge all two seasons over the weekend. Uh, it is called Feel Good. It is written, actually, and created by stand-up comic Mae Martin. touches on a lot of themes that I think those of us in the millennial generation have grappled with at one point or another. Touches on themes of exploring gender identity, sexual identity, trauma, addiction, but all while being funny. So, I mean, you can't go wrong there. So, highly recommend Feel Good. And also, Lisa Kudrow's in it, and she's amazing in everything she's in, obviously. <laughs> awesome. Tessa, do you have any picks for us this week? I just finished 1K drama and started watching two more. The first one is Law School. And I'm told it's important to distinguish that it's the drama because apparently somebody tweeted, I finished law school. And then somebody replied, congratulations. And they were like, the show. (laughs) 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 If you like shows where there's like a mystery that spans like the course of the series and you get a little bit more information each episode, then you might find that show interesting. And then the other two I watched, their English titles are Mad for Each Other and The Strongest Delivery Man. Mad for each other. Similar to, I, I want to say Cassidy recommended Itaewon class when she was on here because she said that like they explore like different kinds of themes and characters that aren't usually explored on K-dramas. And I think this kind of fits in that category. Like they talk a lot about mental health because it's two characters that realize they see the same psychiatrist. And it's just a very funny show. And then the other one that I am watching right now is called The Strongest Delivery Man in English. And it is like, wow, if you've ever wanted a show that spans multiple genres and just switches them up like every 10 seconds and that sounds thrilling, this is the show for you. It's it's about delivery people in Korea and Seoul specifically. And it's kind of ridiculous. And those are my picks. Oh, and one more thing. Both the last two dramas seem to have side stories about cross-dressing. And so far, the first one, Mad For You, seems to do a much better job of presenting it in a destigmatizing and accepting way than the other show. So that is something to be aware of if you plan to check out those shows. And that's my picks. Awesome. Matan, do you have any picks for us this week? Yeah. So one is Planet Scale. If you haven't had the chance to look into it, 
It's admittedly a, a little more of a back-endy thing, but it is a new service made by some folks from GitHub who have left to start this year PlanetScale. It's a fully managed relational database as a service, but what's exciting here is that it is using the serverless pay-per-use pricing model. Usually you either get NoSQL with serverless pricing or you have to pay for like a server instance that is fixed size for a relational database. This is, I think, pretty groundbreaking and something I've been waiting for forever, which is the mix of both serverless pricing of a relational database. And it has a super generous free tier. So I'm going to go try it out with my pet projects because it seems like a lot of fun. Rust and now scale. Rust can now scale. <laughs> no, Rust and now scale, but yeah. Ah, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's does, right. Does Planet Scale use Starship? Does Planet Scale use... Oh, because, because it's a Starship and it's a planet. So they, you know. <laughs> Thank you for connecting it. Now I get the joke. Yep, sorry. <laughs> but you beat me to it, Alex. <laughs> Gonna take the Starship over to Planet Scale. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. I've got a theme going on. I'm, I'm waiting. I'm looking forward to the acquisition. <laughs> we're, not, we're not acquiring them. <laughs> that I can tell you. <laughs> My other pick is uh, a game I've been playing for the last few weeks. It is a visual novel, if that's your jam. It's called The House in Feta Morgana. It is a gothic suspense visual novel. It's kind of dark. Uh, it touches on like human nature and insanity. But it has like absolutely gorgeous illustrations and sound design. If you're looking for something that's like gothic fantasy slash, yeah, just just like a a touching tragic journey, this is a really good one, and it's on like every single platform. That's the House in Fata Morgana. Cool. Well, before we move on, you're the second guest in a row that we've had that's wearing AirPods Max and hasn't had as a pick. So I'm just curious, how do you like them? <laughs> they are very comfortable and the noise cancellation is great but they but. are heavy and they're cumbersome to travel with and they aren't lossless audio which is ironic because apple music just released lossless audio support but none of their headphones support it I'm assuming you mean even even without the Bluetooth, right? It's not lossless if you connect the wire. Exactly, yeah. Even oh, with the wire, it's not lossless. Gotcha. But they're incredibly comfortable. So they're not heavy on your head, just in your bag. They're heavy on your head, but I guess you get used to that. See, now I don't trust Ebby because my whole thing is headphones tend to hurt the top of my head. So I feel like being heavy, that's exactly how that works. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of you when you said they're heavy and I was like, hmm. I know. I was like, wait. What? <laughs> yeah. They have really comfortable ear cups. They sp- distribute the weight very nicely across the top of your head, but they're still heavier than any other headphones on the market. The noise canceling is incredible, though. If, like, if you're a coffee shop coder, this might really be worth considering. Dropping a grand on headphones. <laughs> I thought people went to the coffee shop for the noise. <laughs> That's why they have all those websites for coffee shop noise. Ooh, play them in your headphone while having Ooh. the noise canceling on to block the actual coffee shop. So meta. But this coffee shop doesn't have quite the right 
acoustical <laughs> synergy with what exactly. I'm wanting. The sound so I'm going design to play is my just own. off. But I need the ambiance like visually, so <laughs> I'm looking for a balanced, engineered sort of coffee shop <laughs> sound. Yeah, a bespoke, oh, no, delightful coffee shop sound. There's too much in the left ear. I need I need a little bit more in the in in the right so it balances out just right. Yeah, there we go, right there. <laughs> I have to admit okay. that that I've done that before. I've I've done the coffee shop oh audio God. in a coffee shop when it's just it's a little too quiet. You're like it's you and someone else sitting at the tables and no one's ordering. See, that mm. sounds perfect to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you using the case that it comes with then while, when traveling? Because it doesn't look like a great case. No, I so don't. I have no idea where it is. It's <laughs> 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 I just. I just turn the cup so that it's it can lie flat, flat in my case, and I just slide it into my bag and hope for the best. Nice. <laughs> Live it, living life on the edge there. All right. Well, my pick this week is something I got as a gift a while ago from my mother. It is called a, I'm going to butcher this, automaton. It is delightful. They are like these cute little face music devices and they sound amazing too like it's great okay but when are you gonna let us hear the instrument stop making weird noises into the mic (laughs) i didn't know you were a singer alex yeah i know it was amazing that's my that is my singing voice So, yeah, no, I love this thing. It is ridiculous and fantastic. And maybe I will make I some theme. I'll make some new theme music for the podcast with this. How about that? That'll be the... <laughs> do you oh, do you have the don't. normal automaton? No, I have the Kirby one specifically. And it's extra large. <laughs> it, it's extra large and it has a Kirby face on it. It doesn't suck anything in, but uh, it's <laughs> it's pretty great. <laughs> It's kind of weird, yet loving musical toy. Yes. (laughs) And that is my pick for this week. Are you going to play us out with it? (laughs) Oh my god. And that's all for this week's episode. If you aren't following us on Twitter, go ahead and head on over and find us at Enjoy the Viewcast. Also, be sure to subscribe to the show in a podcast app. Ari. We won. <laughs> and you know if you have time open it up leave a review the reviews really help us out a lot and finally remember that the first rule of view club is you have to tell at least five or six colleagues about view club thanks for listening and until next time enjoy the view Now I have to figure out what our I have to remember what our podcast sound. It's do 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 do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's so it's like